we're at a really cool juncture in the book of Acts because we've been looking at these first 11 chapters and in those first 11 chapters, we meet Paul, the apostle, quickly. We looked at that several weeks ago. We're back to Peter and it's mostly about Peter. It's mostly about the foundation of the church. And in that regard, it'll shift now and the church begins to expand. The church goes beyond its initial boundaries and its initial confines in Jerusalem. Literally, the words of Jesus, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, which are geographic regions that that are concentric circles that continue to expand. And Jesus' words, even to the remotest, to the farthest parts of the world, we're seeing that fulfilled before our eyes in the book of Acts. And this is one of those places Because up until now, the Christian church is primarily Jewish. Even those Gentiles, which are ethnically different and regionally different from the Jews in Jerusalem, even those Gentiles had come into Christianity through Judaism. They had experienced a faith in God. They had sought a faith in God. They had proselyted into Judaism and they were trying to follow Judaism, the laws of Judaism, the requirements of Judaism. And in that regard, they were essentially Jewish Christians first. But that changes in chapter 10. The gospel was never intended to be isolated with one group. It was always intended to be expansive to include all groups. And in a miraculous way, that happens in chapter 10. Peter has a vision. He sees that God has created everyone for his love, and God's love is fully comprehensive of everyone, and everyone is absorbed into that love. And Peter's learning that lesson, and most importantly, the church learns that lesson. So the rest of the book of Acts after chapter 10 is the church expanding. It is, it is Paul who has one of the strongest, best resumes in, a Juda, in, a Jew, in Judaism and a Jewish background. Even he will be sent to the Gentiles. He will be sent to the rest of the world and help the rest of the world see and meet Jesus. And it is an exciting moment as the church expands And literally, by the time we get to chapter 28, by the time we finish this, headed into next Christmas season, in that time, we will have seen the gospel in all of the known world historically at that point in time. And we live in a generation which is extremely exciting because we have the potential because of the way landmass is and because of technology and the way people grouping is today, we have the ability probably for the first time since Jesus said those words, to actually see the good news, that message of hope. That's what we refer to as the gospel, that message of hope. We have the opportunity in our lifetime to see every inhabitant of earth hear that Jesus loves them, cares for them, wants to be their Lord, wants to care for them, wants to know them, and bring them with them into heaven. It'll happen in our lifetime. It's happening today, and we're a part of that. And that's part of what motivates and drives us as a church. If you're familiar with us at all, and if you're not, we want you to become familiar with Josh mentioned earlier. We, we live by and we, we literally live and breathe the vision of our church to invite others into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, one conversation at a time. I can do everything I can to reach globally But what I want to do more than anything else is the person I meet this afternoon for the first time 
be able to be sensitive and aware enough of that conversation that the evidence of who Christ is and his love for them is obvious in that conversation. And we see Peter do exactly that. So we're in Acts chapter 10. I'm going to take a moment just to read it so that you have the context and we're going to look at several specific points. But this is how and this is the way those conversations in many ways take place. Peter's had his vision. He's come to the conclusion that God loves all people. He has been requested to go to Caesarea. He's in Joppa right now. Caesarea is a Roman port designed for Roman inhabitants, designed for the Roman occupation of the Holy Land, specifically Jerusalem. It is a place no Jew would ever go. And yet, if you go to Acts chapter 10 and you scroll down in the bottom there, you get to about verse 23. Peter's had this conversation with Cornelius, this Roman centurion, this Roman soldier and leader. He's had this, this, his guests have come and Peter's invited them in. And it simply begins the narrative in this fashion. The next day, he, referring to Peter, has set out with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. The following day, he entered Caesarea. There is so much in that one sentence I don't have time to do today. But it's huge that Peter, a lifelong Jew, would go to Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. But when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I myself am also a man. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. Well, Peter said to them, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with a visit or even visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without objection and when I was sent, when I was sent for. So may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago, at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then, a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon the Tamar's house by the sea, so I immediately sent for you. And it was good of you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee and the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify, uh, testify about him, and through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water or prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days and that's where we'll pick it up next week. It's an amazing conversation and it leads to people knowing that God loves them, cares for them and wants to be in a relationship with him. When we talk about inviting others into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, it is as simple as that. Jesus has significantly and substantially changed our lives. And because of that, we want to share with anyone we come into contact with that possibility for life change and such significant transformation when you finally meet the God who created you, the God who designed you, the God who loves you with every bit of his ability which is beyond calculation. It is the simplicity of knowing what God has done in our life and sharing it with the people we come into relationship with. And it begins in a simple fashion that actually is one of the most difficult things for the church to do. If you look at the first section, verses 23 through 33, you see Peter leaving Joppa, which is a stretch in the first place because he wouldn't typically have gone there as a Jew, and going to Caesarea because he's been requested to come have a conversation about Jesus and about faith. Again, something that prior to this moment Peter never would have done, he is willing to do. He doesn't, and this is a huge shift historically in Scripture. He doesn't say to Cornelius and to Cornelius's family and to Cornelius's friends and to Cornelius's soldiers, he doesn't say, no, meet me in Jerusalem. We'll talk on the steps of the, of the temple. And if you qualify, we'll take you into the Gentile court. But we'll see how it goes at that point. Peter leaves his comfort zone. He leaves his historical position of prejudice and says, okay, I'm going. And this is not a small trip. From Joppa to Caesarea by foot is a minimum of a day and a half of travel, and Luke indicates that, that they leave and that it is the following afternoon when they arrive in Caesarea, when they arrive at Cornelius' house. Critical to inviting others into a life-changing relationship with Jesus is meeting everyone where they're at, not where we're at. I remember I had the opportunity carrying on our on vacation. We were, we were actually en route on a mission trip. We were going to spend a month in the, in the nation of Taiwan and um, 
lead pastors there and can do some consulting and, and leadership seminars and then wrap that month up. We were going to have a week-long vacation Bible school in D-Now uh, for missionary kids. Missionary kids don't get to participate quite the way as we do here stateside. And as we were going, we decided, well, we're going to take some extra time. We're going to spend some time in Seattle. And we had just spent some time in Seattle. This is the old Seattle. Um, <laughs> so it was still relatively safe, but it was still weird. Uh, and so as we had just come out of a store, we're going out to our rent car. We're getting ready to get in the rent car. And there's these kids in the parking lot. And I don't even remember necessarily how we interacted and how we kind of intersected our lives in that moment. But I started talking to these skaters. And as I was talking to these skaters... I began to share with them my faith. Now, I wasn't cool enough to be a skater. Even when I tried to be a skater, I was not coordinated enough to, to do that in any significant fashion and spent most of my time um, in the ER, which hasn't changed much over the years. Um, but because I stopped where they were, they were willing to listen and I had the opportunity to share the gospel. Carrie and I were on another vacation. We were in France, and we had decided to go into the country for the day. And on that vacation, um, it was an interesting experience, another one of those humbling moments. And in case you're wondering, yes, God continues to do this all throughout your life to help you become more like Jesus in this humbling moment, I'm used to being the one that has the conversations. I'm used to being the one who talks to the skaters in the parking lot. I am used to carrying most of that while Carrie prays for me. In this particular instance, the problem is we are in France. And I don't know any French. And in France, they are very, very proud of their language. And even if they speak English... They won't speak it to you if you're, it's obvious you don't speak French. My wife, on the other hand, has studied it for a couple of semesters, knowing that we were going to make this trip, and she's doing perfectly fine. We walk into restaurants, and I don't know how they know in the first few minutes that she's legitimately capable of speaking French, but the waiters would walk up, the maitre d' would walk up and hand her a menu and be so polite and so nice to her and sit her down, and he'd flop one at me and say, here. So mine was in English, hers was in France. I had to ask her because even the English didn't make sense to me. We're on the train in the middle of the country, just cruising along, and there's a group of teenagers, all of them goth, all of them dark black, all of them pierced, all of them tattooed. Um, it was one of those moments that if you have a license to carry, you're patting your, your hip. But I'm in France, and Texas laws don't apply in France. And so I'm just sort of praying, Lord, let us live through this day, but if we don't, I'll be fine. When my wife starts talking to him. So we switched roles. As I listened to her share with them in their language the truth of Jesus and the love of Jesus. And all I could do was pray that these teenagers would know Christ. When I became a Christian, it was because Christians found me, not because I found the church. Cornelius becomes a believer in this first section because there was a willingness on Peter as a result of the way God changed his heart to accept and be willing to meet everyone where they are. 
in missiology, the study of missions and strategies of the church, we call this contextualization. It is meeting them where they are. And we are blessed because we live in a period of history when most churches have grasped this. We are, we are blessed in our own congregation because this church has grasped this. And we understand we're not expecting you to become like us. And we're willing to talk to you where you're at because what we want you to know is not this church. What we want you to know is Jesus, who happens to be the head of this church and the one all of us respect and actually worship. We meet them where they're at. We contextualize the message. And then when we meet them where we're at, there is an attitude of acceptance. There is an, there is an attitude of absorption. I, I, I love the way Peter says it in verse 34. He begins to speak. And he, said, he acknowledges, now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him, which just simply means there's a sense of respect, there's an understanding of who he is authority-wise, and does what is right is acceptable to him. He said the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Peter didn't just meet them where they were, but he acknowledges openly, normally I would never come here. Normally I wouldn't go into your house. Normally we wouldn't have this conversation. Normally, but normal is not normal anymore because Jesus is in charge and Jesus loves you and Jesus wants you to know him. And you don't need to jump through my hoops in order to meet him. I accept you. If God loves you, I'll love you. And that's the key. That is, that, is, that is the heartbeat of a church. If we're inviting others into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, it's because we have to develop the love that is reflective of God's love. And God loves regardless of who we are and where we're from. And God loves us, interestingly enough, even regardless of what we've done. Because for God, it's always tomorrow. I am willing to cast their seas into the, their sins into the depths of the sea, the scriptures say. I am willing to remove and forgive. God's always looking for the new day, for the new song, for the new life. Because his love is beyond our past. His love is beyond the things that have defined us before. Which is why, as the Apostle Paul will later describe it in one of his letters, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. What an amazing thing when the church is willing to meet people where they are and when the church is willing to accept everybody and love everybody the way God loves them. And that is not affirming inappropriate lifestyles or inappropriate decisions or bad life choices. Right is still right, wrong is still wrong. Righteousness is still righteousness, unrighteousness is still unrighteousness. Holiness is still holiness, unholiness is still unholiness. But God's desire is to move us from those into his presence. And he does that through his love. 
There is no one in this room. There is no one listening right now on live stream. There is no one that is outside the grace of God and the love of God. And there is no one for the church. And the fact that we know what we believe and we know how we're going to live does not mean we don't love and we don't care. Do not let a heathen, demonic culture try to convince you you are bad because you know what you believe. There is absolutely nothing wrong with being a fundamentalist. Matter of fact, the option of not being a fundamentalist just means you don't have any idea what you believe, which means you fit in perfect in culture. Everything's going to change in the moment. We know what we believe. But we also know how deeply God has loved us, and we also know how deeply God loves you. And so we're willing to meet you where you're at. We're willing to accept you as you are with the anticipation of what's going to take place and what's going to happen, which is why we teach and is why we gather. In this whole next section, verse 37 through 43, I'm not going to walk through all the details of it, but basically Peter briefs these Gentiles. Peter is basically doing corporate onboarding at this point. Cornelius in particular has had a respect for God but could not fit into the historic patterns of that faith as he has seen it in the Jewish community. And so he is, in a sense, kind of hanging out here. He's literally that, that loading icon on your device or your computer. He's trying to know God. He wants to know God. Cornelius wants to do the right thing. And so he's living a good life, and he's giving. He's giving more generously than the believers are giving. He's, he's doing all of these things, but he just can't upload it into that relationship. <clears throat> so Peter takes the time to explain this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. This is what Jesus is going to do. This is what's going to happen. Don't be surprised. If we're meeting them where they're at and if we're accepting them for who they are, then it simply makes sense. We may have to spend a little time bringing them up to speed. I am thankful I got saved when I got saved. Many of you have heard this story. I'm not going to go into detail today, but suffice it to say, because I did not grow up in church and had no background in church, I had no clue, and there was nobody really fully prepared to brief me. And so I went to the college Sunday school class. I love our college class. Roy and Lisa teach that class. God's been doing some great things in there this semester. Really thankful for them. But they weren't quite where Peter is at this point, and I wasn't quite where Cornelius, Cornelius was. And so I realized if I'm going to do this Christian thing, and everybody else did it all their life, and I didn't, I need to, get, I need to start at the beginning. I walked down into a second grade classroom. This was when you could still do that. Um, for good reasons, you cannot do that today. So I am not saying anybody should do this because we're going to politely take you back to an adult class because we protect our kids these days, very much so. That class had prayed that somebody would come help the older lady that was teaching. I thought she was like 100 at the time. She became a very close friend um, and uh, actually was a part of a church I helped plant and was a good friend and a good prayer warrior for at least another 20 years. So I'm not sure how old she actually was. It seemed like, like ancient to me. And for the next year, she helped me understand. She briefed me. She did onboarding. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. This is what Jesus wants to do. And this is what Jesus can do. And I learned more faith from those second graders than probably any other discipleship mechanism I was ever a part of. 
I had to go back because I wanted to. Believers want to. New believers want to grow. That's why make sure, make sure your classes, make sure our small groups, whether it's an established study that we're doing on Sunday nights or Wednesday mornings or Tuesday mornings, whether it is, whether it is a weekly class that gets together and meets, make sure that class is always sensitive that everybody's in the same place we are and we need to help them come up to speed. We need to help them. Paul describes it as the difference between drinking milk and eating steak. You may want steak, but you're going to have to take some softer foods in the process of getting there. And the church is designed and organized to make that possible. We are willing to meet everyone where they're at. We are willing to contextualize. We are, we are willing to accept people where they are, which means we absorb, we, we take them in, we accept them as family. We are willing to do the briefing that's necessary and help people on board and become familiar with the basics of Christianity, the tenets of Christianity. One of the great things we'll look at next week in this context is the fact that Peter knew exactly what he believed and he was completely able to articulate it because he believed it and not because he was a trained professional. He wasn't. He was a fisherman by trade. He was a classy blue-collar worker. He had no official education and elocution or articulation or in systematic theology, but he was able to articulate this is who Jesus was, this is what Jesus did, this is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus can do. And the exciting part is he never finishes the message. He never, he never finishes it. God shows up in verse 44. As he was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. Sometimes the program gets interrupted, and that's okay. God shows up, and the lives are visibly and obviously validated and changed. Inviting others into a life-changing relationship one conversation at a time can be one of the most exciting experiences any of us ever have. To watch God do that work and come down. I love the response. The crowd's all together. Peter's in the crowd and everybody's like, whoa, hold it. This is Pentecost again. If you don't know Pentecost, that was the first time the Holy Spirit showed up on Jews in chapter two. That's where we began several weeks ago, several months ago. It's Pentecost for the Gentiles today. The Holy Spirit moves. The Holy Spirit's there. He comes. And in that process, they know these are believers just like us. And so let's see them validated Let's help them in the confirmation. Let's baptize and begin their journey because they know Jesus the same way we know Jesus. So if you're in the middle of that conversation this week, let God interrupt. It's more important that he's there than that you finish.